What up, Subway Sports Talk fans? My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am typically your host. But today, we're actually trying something new, and we're going to have two friends of the show who, if you listen to Subway Sports Talk, you may have heard before on to do a mashup of sorts, a combination podcast where our friends from the Boyle and Shen show will join, and Pat Boyle will actually be doing most of the hosting, though. You know, once we get into it, we're really just having a great conversation, uh, and we're going to do a combo show where you get to hear a Boyle Shen show, Subway Sports Talk combo. It's pretty much similar as if I'm appearing on their podcast or they're appearing on this podcast. And we thought, why not just make it one? And we'll share the sugar, spread the wealth, whatever that saying may be, and hopefully make our communities and our listening bases just that much bigger. So if you listen to this episode today, like hopefully you normally do on Subway Sports Talk, and you enjoy it, make sure you go out and check the Boyle and Shen show. It's on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Check them out. Pat Boyle and Mark Shanlugan are fantastic. They tend to see things differently, which leads to great debate. And then when I get in there, I don't even know what's going on. I'm disagreeing with Pat, disagreeing with Mark, and I agree with one. It, it just gets wild, but it's a lot of fun. Today we discuss all things NBA playoffs. We do kind of focus on the Nets and the Sixers and their lackluster performances in the last round. We do look forward to the Bucks and Hawks series, which got very heated at the very end. That was a lot of fun. And I didn't even realize how strongly I felt about that series until I really dove into it. So great, great excitement. Again, it's a mashup. Subway Sports Talk, just how you know and love it, along the ride with the Boyle and Shen Show. That's Pat Boyle and Mark Shanlugan. So when you hear the music in just a moment, the typical SST intro music, once we get to that point where I go, all right, you won't hear me. You'll hear Pat Boyle, and you're going to have a good time. I guarantee it. Stay tuned. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, Dan. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. All right, let's dive right into it. So let's obviously start first and foremost with the NBA champions. The NBA champions, everybody thought that it was going to be the Brooklyn Nets. 2-0 lead on the Milwaukee Bucks, destined to not only win the series, but to win the NBA title, ticker tape parade in Williamsburg or wherever they're going to have it, downtown Brooklyn, Atlantic Ave. They had it all set up, all ready to go. And then we saw on Saturday night, Kevin Durant come up just a bit short, just a bit short. Airball airball what would have been another game-tying shot because he was a centimeter away a certain hair, if you will, away from hitting what would have been a game-winning three, which would have won the game for the Brooklyn Nets. But let's talk about that first, but let's first bring in the the whole crew that we've got here on this Boyle Shen Show Subway Sports Talk mashup. First and foremost, big Brooklyn Nets fan. Mark, you've had 48 hours now, a little bit over 48 hours to recuperate. We're going to get into it, obviously, in depth, but, you know, first and foremost, how you doing, man? You holding up? You know, Pat, this is the first day I've stepped out of my house and seen the sun shine. (laughs) <laughs> um it's been a rough few days 
but yeah, I'll, I'll get mean, into my thoughts once we get into this. Yeah, absolutely. And then again, for those of you listening on Subway Sports Talk, you know this man very, very well. He is your host. He is Pete Kennedy. We've got him here on the Boyle Shen Show for this episode. Pete, as an NBA lover like yourself, two Game 7 road winners going into hostile territory with full crowds that we've had back now for over a month. The Hawks get it done. The Bucks get it done. Pete, let's, uh, let's start with you here, man. What are your thoughts overall on two big time? I wouldn't say big time upset in the Milwaukee game, but the Atlanta upset definitely coming in as what? Seven point underdogs mm. for both of those teams to walk into the opposite building and get it done and go into the Eastern conference finals. Overall, your, your thoughts on those game sevens back-to-back nights. First of all, I'm absolutely triggered by the way you started this podcast. And I'm sorry to all the subway <laughs> sports talk listeners who are just subjected to this Nets hate. Out of the blue, when I, told I mean, you it was coming. I knew it was coming, but I mean, to to attack Kevin Durant, and we're gonna get into it. Like Mark said, it, it's absolutely ridiculous to to do what not just you're doing. The way you did it actually was tongue in cheek enough where I appreciated it in a way. There's too many people out here who just love hating Kevin Durant too much. Did y'all not want to keep watching this man play basketball? I don't get it. Is he not the most incredible basketball player we got in the league right now? Why is everybody so happy? especially here in New York, especially Knicks fans, why are we so damn happy to not watch this man play basketball anymore in the playoffs? He has been the most fun guy in the league. He's been the best guy in the league so far. And Knicks fans are so bitter that the Nets got the guys that they wanted and actually had a real chance to win the championship this year. And if they didn't have half a James Harden and no Kyrie Irving and a no-show from Joe Harris, they would be walking into the finals perhaps right now. So... My trigger is now over. Thank you so much for hosting this mashup. Boyle Shen Show, Subway Sports Talk. I'm very excited. Now I'm triggered. But that all being said, we'll move on, and we can talk about the Bucks and Hawks before we go into the colossal collapses of the Nets and the Sixers. I am, I've gone full circle, Pat, on Trey Young. I can't believe it. I like all his first two years, first two and a half years, really, leading up to the halfway point of this year, I was very much on the side of things where, Yes, he's an awesome, awesome scorer. He's a fantastic passer. He doesn't even pass to his fullest potential yet, but he's not making winning plays consistently. He's making stat-driven plays consistently. He wants to get his numbers. He wants to make cool plays all the time, which is great for your first couple years. If you want to be a winner, though, it's not going to get you over the hump. And it was a perfect storm when Lloyd Pierce got knocked off. He got, got let go. McMillan came in. Bogdanovich came back healthy. Danilo Gallinari came back healthy. Trey Young started to trust his teammates, and beautiful basketball has taken place ever since. He ran through the Knicks. He ran through the Sixers. The Sixers have a boatload of problems we're going to get into, but I can't lie. The Hawks are actually becoming a fun team to watch for me. I don't know about the Bucs. They haven't been exactly fun. They've been a little more torturous, if you ask me, but the Hawks have been pretty damn fun. I might actually pull for them in the conference finals. Yeah, let's hit on a couple of angles here. First and foremost, Pete, I did not have nearly as much joy watching the Nets get eliminated as I thought I did. And that is because, one, Kevin Durant proved, and get ready, open, open your ears here, Mark. Kevin Durant proved he is the best player on the planet. And that's not a shock to me, though. I've been telling you that for the past two, three years. Yeah, but he so. said it out loud, Mark. Wait, wait, Come on. Way to finally hop on the bandwagon and come <laughs> along for the ride. I'm not hopping on a bandwagon. I've just, I, I mean, look, the combination of what LeBron did against the, the Phoenix Suns, which, 
you know, honestly, now in retrospect, the Phoenix Suns deserve a hell of a lot more credit than anybody oh. has been giving them all year long. Mark, they look like they're ready to run right through to the NBA Finals without Chris Paul for maybe games two and three. I mean, th- that team is unbelievable. You want to talk about coach of the year and, and my Knicks bias, Monty Williams should have been coach of the year. And, you know, he, he, he should be after how this season finishes up him or Nate McMillan because they have done remarkable jobs. However, let me re- now let me backtrack a couple seconds here because, yes, Kevin Durant, greatest player on the planet. What he did, literally put the team on his back, put the team on his back, though. Absolutely <laughs> balled out night after night when Joe Harris, who – what happened to Joe Harris? Can somebody put out a uh, – a Amber alert for Joe Harris or whatever kind of alert it is, because he absolutely disappeared in the biggest moments in this series. And especially in games five, six, and seven, he was not there, nowhere to be found. And Kyrie Irving sprains his ankle. And what was that game one? James mm. Harden. No, he's later on, later on game four, Harden, game four. Harden got hurt in game one. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. My fault. Yeah. Harden gets hurt in game one. Kyrie then gets hurt a couple of games later. And yeah, Harden doesn't come back to what game five. And he's basically playing, you know, beaten up the entire series. And those combinations, the fact that the Nets out of the big three, one missed half the series, the other missed the front half of the series and was playing hurt for the back end of the series. And the fact that then Kevin Durant came up clutch in almost every single moment, except for the last one. That's why I didn't have as, I didn't savor the Nets getting knocked out as much as I thought I would, as much as I was telling you guys I was going to, because it was an absolutely heroic performance from Durant, what he did, uh, over the course of the seven games. And also, Pete, to hit on your point, yes, the Atlanta Hawks, you know, to then get all the Knicks fans riled up here and, and in a better mood, how much does that 4-1 loss to the Atlanta Hawks look a lot better now considering they just took out the Philadelphia 76ers and are going to the Eastern Conference Finals? What Trey Young has been able to do, what Nate McMillan has been able to do since taking over, this team was under 500. I believe they were 14-20. and 20 when they fired Pierce and Nate McMillan and them have run the table, the pick and roll Trey young Bogdanovich has been a top three, three point shooter in the league this year. Clint Capella on the alley-oop and his rim protection. Gallinari, John uh, Collins, dude, he has been a beast and they're getting production all around. So it's no surprise. I mean, it is a bit of a surprise considering how much Philadelphia choked, but I mean, it's no surprise this team sent it seven games and they were able to pull it out. So you got to give the Hawks a ton of credit. And uh, and yes, you know, let's 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 dive in here, Mark, with the Nets, because overall, what happened? It was if not for Katie, this series might have been over in six. Milwaukee might have won four straight after going down 2-0 if Duran hadn't put up the performances he had. What the hell happened? What happened with Joe Harris? We know Harden was playing hurt. I mean, Landry Shamit, like, just, it just, how much blame does Steve Nash deserve here, Mark, for potentially not putting Landry Shamit and, and giving him the majority of the minutes once you realize, look, Joe Harris is not going to make shots? All right. So I, I guess I'll start with the Nets rather than the uh, getting into the Sixers. I'll get into the Sixers a bit later. But, you know, I'm finally getting to respond to your intro, Pat, intro from the, uh, the beginning, Pat. I'd expect nothing less from you, a salty New York Knicks fan taking a couple pot shots at the Nets before I can even say anything. What are we like 10, 12 minutes in? Um, look, there's a lot of things that went wrong in this series. Yes. You know, the injuries kind of sucks, but you know, what happens. I mean, just look at the Lakers. Um, 
you know, a lot of, one thing that gets looked over is the Nets had a three point lead in game three with a chance to ice this series and go up three out with about a minute 20 left. They couldn't pull that one out. Yep. That really kind of turned the tide a little bit. You know, then Kyrie goes down in game four. They pull off the miracle in game five. And, uh, you know, that brings me to game seven. You can look at it a couple of ways. You can say, you know, Durant did everything he could and that he really got no help down the stretch. Or you can look at it and say, you know, the Nets had a five-point lead with four minutes to go and Kevin Durant, James Harden couldn't bring it home. Um, look, if this was the Lakers, you know I'd be killing LeBron in this situation for not bringing, the, for not bringing a game home like that, regardless yes, of whether you, you had Davis or not. So I have to go and be objective here. And I know he did everything he could. He put up 48 points. But look, you got a five-point lead with four minutes to go, and Harden banks in a three. Whenever you see something like that in a game, that team usually wins 99.9% of the time. I'm going to put the blame on KD here. I'm sorry. I got I to gotta stick true to my word. I know it's crazy. I know he did everything he possibly could. He sent the game to OT. But he went 0 for 6 in overtime, Pat, Pat and Pete. That's inexcusable. Yeah. Um, but also, on a, on a side note, Joe Harris should be afraid to walk outside at night right now. Oh, in the state of New York. Except nobody would recognize him in Brooklyn, probably. It was good for him. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's just look, Brooklyn. I, now, I, yeah. I, don't know, I, I don't know who would I'd tell you this. I'd recognize him because oh, that yeah. was absolutely pathetic and laughable. I was just making fun of Brooklyn for being, you know, not, you know, you know, around there in Brooklyn, you ain't got the, the big time basketball fans all the time. You got the hipsters and the whatnots. But wait, I, I got to I got to commend you, Mark, for for staying true to your objectiveness and what you would do to LeBron in this exact situation. And I, I like that you're keeping it consistent, but do you do you think that there's a chance you might just be consistently wrong now? Because come on, you're gonna blame look, Kevin Durant? You look at the big picture, Pete. I can't I can't help but say it. You got a five point lead with four minutes to go. Okay. You got to bring that thing home. That's fair. I mean, it just sucks because um, he was absolutely fried, right? And that shouldn't be no, an excuse. But like you watched what he did in the end of that game, and then you watched in overtime. He had played over. Did he play over fifty minutes? Right? Didn't he play fifty? Harden, I think Harden might have came out for like 30 seconds or something like that. But Durant played the entire game, one year removed from an Achilles injury. It's a psycho move. And it, I don't know if you saw this. He's actually committing to play in the Olympics, which mm -hmm. I thought was insane. But it goes to show how much this dude loves to play basketball and just loves to hoop. And he's probably been missing the game a lot over the past year and a half. And now he's back and put on incredible performance after incredible performance. It's just unfortunate because when you talked about this Nets team coming into the playoffs, obviously you say, Oh, they got KD Harden, Kyrie. They're going to be incredibly hard to beat. They are the favorite for a reason. But one of the other reasons why they were the favorites is you were getting contributions consistently out of Joe Harris, Bruce Brown. You were getting either a Jeff green or Blake Griffin game. You know, basically everybody that they were using, even Mike James at certain points in time, they were making things happen. And just to use a quick comparison point here between the Hawks and the Nets, listen to this simple point-per-game breakdown for the Nets versus the Hawks. You got 34 points per game in the playoffs for Kevin Durant, 22 in nine games for Kyrie, 20 for nine games for James Harden. Obviously, some of those games uh, when he first came back were like really, really ugly. Joe Harris was at 11. Nobody else in double digits. Nobody else. Fifth for the Nets was Blake Griffin at nine, down to Jeff Green, eight, Bruce Brown, eight, Landry Shamit, four, okay? Now listen to the Atlanta Hawks. I know they weren't playing each other, but just for the ideation of how a team should operate here and what we're seeing in this playoffs, Trey Young, 29 points per game. After that, 
you got from number two down to number seven. So that's five more guys in double digits. Collins, 14. Bogdanovich, 14. Gallinari, 12 and a half. Herter, 11 and a half. DeAndre Hunter, 11. Capella, 10. And then Lou Williams averages seven, but realistically for Lou Williams, that's like 15 one game and then two the next game. So he can do 15 points a game if he really needed to. And that's what I look at with this net series is what's kind of like the writing on the wall of what went wrong. The others, which we hear Shaquille O'Neal talk about consistently all year long, let alone the playoffs, especially in the playoffs, others have to make shots. And the more you think about every single playoff run, every single championship team, they got guys who make big-time plays. Nets had those guys all year long, and those guys didn't make it happen when it mattered most, in my opinion. They could have won that series with half of James Harden and no Kyrie Irving if they got a second Jeff Green performance. When Jeff Green went for 27, they needed somebody else not to get 27. They need Joe Harris to go 4 for 12 from 3 instead of 2 for 12. You know what I'm saying? So it really it hurts, and it's tough. And now we're seeing a, a playoff where it's not just simply who are the best players. They win all the series. It's not happening this year. It's a little bit different. And we'll see how that goes moving forward. Is it going to be the deepest team or is the biggest star, which I guess is Giannis now, is he going to prevail? I, I don't know. Yeah, Pete, those are, uh, those are some excellent points. And I agree with you. Yeah, Mark, ultimately, this is not on the shoulders of Kevin Durant. You know, now look. Is it on his shoulders in the biggest moment, the final, when you look at the the final five minutes of the game? Yeah, I guess you have a point there. You said 0 for 6, make a shot, air balls the final shot. Doesn't take Drew Holiday to the cup when he's got a six-inch advantage on him, size advantage. And you know you're going to get to the basket. Drew Holiday's not going to slow you down when you're Kevin Durant. You have the talent and the shot-making ability of anybody else on this planet. But to me, suspect and, and enemy number one is Joe Harris as to why the Nets didn't win this series. I mean, how many open, wide open threes did this man miss in the fourth quarter throughout this entire series? 16 of 49 from deep for the entire series. That is 31%. The man is nearly a 50% three-point shooter throughout most of the regular season. With hands in his face, off the catch and shoot, tough shots, especially in, in a season where you had load managing all over the place, managing so many loads, Harden, Irving, KD. <laughs> there was times where Joe Harris had to be the number two option. And when he's only playing with KD, when he's only playing with Kyrie, when he's only playing with Harden, he was, he, all he had to do was be the number three option for the last three games of this series and just make open shots when they got him them. And he missed almost every single one and I wish I had the stat I should have dug for it what he shot in the fourth quarter throughout this series because it had to have been even worse it had to have been under 25 percent because I swear to God I, I saw him miss every single shot he took in the fourth quarter in games six and seven and when you do like again that's one of the best that's arguably the third best three-point shooter in the entire NBA and the guy fell flat on his face when they needed him most when Kevin Durant who like you said played all 53 minutes, all 3,000 plus seconds of this entire series, all this right. entire game seven. Well, <laughs> all right. And he, Joe Harris shoots 47.5% this year on six and look, a half attempts. Oof. I get it. I get where you're coming from. 
but I can easily counter and say the Milwaukee Bucks don't score for the first 345 of OT and you guys still can't win the game. That's true. That's a good point. But that that's like Look, not just him. But it was it was you know what you're right though Mark because he took every single shot in overtime pretty much, no? Almost almost every mo- shot. Most most of them now granted he threw up the 140 footer off one leg because right. Jay's Harden screwed him with the shot clock as which, he did the entire which, game. Yeah, he did that like um, every every quarter. He did it at least yeah, once. It, again, I don't think he should have played nearly as much, but Look, for as well as KD played in this game, I think Giannis played even better. And I think that's really going under the radar here. Um, look, you're down 10 points on the road in a game seven. And he he really willed them back. And he showed the you know mental fortitude that Ben Simmons has no prayer of even sniffing <laughs> with, with his con. I mean, Giannis would go down, shoot two air balls from the free throw line, and he's coming right back down the lane again, doesn't care. Uh, you know, he's not dishing it to a table with three minutes to go for a maybe, maybe layup. I can't wait to talk about that series, but. uh... Yeah. And I I think another big thing too, that a lot of people don't remember because it was the heat of the moment. It was the final play of the game. The Nets had a timeout. Yep. Yep. With with however many seconds left, 13 seconds left in overtime. Mm -hmm. And Steve Nash doesn't call a timeout. When you, when you see your star player is visibly like exaggeratedly drained and he's on his last legs a year removed from coming back from an Achilles torn Achilles surgery. And he's never played this many minutes, maybe in his life, let alone a year off of a gigantic surgery where he's obviously doesn't have his conditioning. How do you not call a timeout there? Yeah, that's wrong. Well, yeah. And if, if you look what happened, Durant threw the ball to Harden and then Harden threw it right back to him. They were, well, Harden couldn't, could never move in this series. No, right? I know. He drove like, I mean, like three Katie, times. Oh, wait, like Katie Katie comes is, up, just gives it to Harden. And then Harden's like, no, you take it. Yeah, and Durant, Harden's not Durant's, one for that moment anyway. Durant's exactly. good enough to Durant's good enough to go one on one with just about anybody ninety percent of the time, ninety five percent of the time. But when you have an option to draw up a play to make it that much easier, and also maybe get James Harden a wide open look. I ain't saying Joe Harris because there's no goddamn way in hell he's shooting that, that last shot for me. I don't care if there's nobody within a mile of him with the way he shot the ball. Or you can design something for Blake Griffin where you throw everybody on the perimeter. You throw, you know, they're going to be going after Durant and you know, option number two is they're he probably going to uh, stick. They're probably going to stick holiday on, on Harden. You could have just fell out at that point, but yeah, I get true. where oh, you're right. From. Griffin did. No, Griffin did foul out. You are right. He did foul out there. Wait, so that, I, so I got a question though about the Steve Nash thing specifically, because I, I've been hearing this a little bit and I was talking to a Nets fan specifically today. He's like, Oh, Steve Nash, like, come on. Like, Got like, are we gonna get rid of this guy? Like, or yeah, obviously that's a little bit aggressive and and whatnot. He's being a a sensitive or emotional Nets fan in the moment. He's like, oh, blah blah blah. Like, can we separate the fact that Nash made a few blunders towards the end of this game here with the fact that if this team was healthy, all signs point to them walking to beating the Bucks in this series, right? Like, what is um what is the break point there? Like where? Where do you cut off the blame on Steve Nash because he was playing with half a hand of cards? You know what I mean? Like, is it completely fair to even sit here and criticize Steve Nash that much? Like, yes, I agree he should have called a timeout there based off of how exhausted they were. But he's already playing with half a hand. Like, how how mad can you get at a first-year head coach who managed the egos of the crazy psycho diva team with Kyrie and James Harden and Kevin Durant to a T this year he, he literally handled them perfectly this year as far as culture is concerned. Now, X and O and substitution patterns and whatnot, you can probably nitpick, but is that the point, though? Is it nitpicking? Like, where is it fair to to end the criticism of Nash? 
I mean, you go Pat or? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, when, it, when it's come down to the final play, again, you know, we know this is a make-or-miss league. And when your team's obviously going the final four minutes and 38 seconds of overtime without being able to make a single shot, that is your job to then say, hey, look, even if you're not drawing up plays, you need to come, you need to bring the team together and say, hey, look, we need to figure out a way to get some buckets here because four points, six points in this overtime might win it. Four points is what won it. And the Nets with, with Durant and Harden and all the shot makers they have, only able to score two points in overtime, a lot of that onus has to be on Steve Nash for not finding a way to get some easy buckets, for not bringing the team together in a timeout and saying, hey, somebody get to the bucket, they're going to call a foul. Somebody, let's, let's run a little pick and roll here. We're going to be able to get to the basket. I mean, did they even, they even have a single free throw attempt in the overtime period? Nope. And yes, you're right, nope. Mark. Blake Griffin did foul out. So even then, like in that final instance, you, you know, you draw something up where it's like the ball, we're going to assess what they, what they throw at us. Maybe a little pick and roll here coming out quick. And if they leave Jeff Green wide open under the basket, give it to him. Otherwise, it's your shot. Like, there was none of that. There was no strategy. It's almost as like the moment got too big for Nash and got too big for the entire team. And it was just like, all right, Kevin, please make the shot. Right. Otherwise, we're done. And you know what bothered me about the shot Kevin took in that last overtime? It was like almost a mimic of the one he hit in the fourth quarter. I would have much rather him have been two steps back and not do a whole spin or anything like that. Literally just kind of like size up, hesitation, just pull up and get your shot off because you're taller than him, right? Like, right. you almost... Like how many... T- yeah, no, I was how just going to say... You- we see, how many times do we see KD just, you know, little dribble to the to that mid-range on the on the baseline where that's like his patented spot and just rise up over somebody? Why did there have to be a whole turnaround, like almost like post like 30, uh, 25 foot? Right. It was, I mean, it was because he was exhausted, which goes back to the point Steve Nash had called timeout. So maybe we're talking in circles at this point. I, so I, I don't know. I'm with you. I just feel like it's way too premature. It's a little too aggressive to try to pin anything on Steve Nash, pin anything too big at least. Like, yeah, I think you, you take a pie chart here and you're cutting up slices and giving them out of, like, who deserves blame here. And it's the role players who deserve, I think, a big chunk. It's James Harden, perhaps, for trying to just be out there for every single minute, even though he couldn't move, couldn't get any lift on his jump shot. And I think the smallest, skinniest, as skinny as himself, slice of blame goes to Kevin Durant, is the point. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I would just like to rewind three months ago where I told you guys that the Nets weren't going to win a title, and I was going to be here telling you I told you so. Yeah. I don't yes. even, look, you also do you feel vindicated? Or do you just – Yes, you predicted that too, right, Pat? Like, did you, do you predicted feel vindicated what? saying that, though? Like, you, you, you predicked that No, Harden I mean, I told, I told you guys – 40 the, seconds into game one, and Kyrie would also get hurt, right? You predicted I that? Told you guys, I told you guys off rip. I don't savor it as much because of the injuries and because of how heroic Kevin Durant played. But at the end of the day – Somebody's got to be a winner. Somebody's got to be a loser. That's I told fair. you guys who would be the loser. That's fair. They don't, they don't even make the NBA finals. The conference the finals. NBA you get finals? zero. You get zero. I, that's what I meant. Not even the conference three finals. Three months ago, like zero credit. You get zero credit. Why do I get so, zero? No, credit? no. You get honestly because though, that is not. It, it did not unfold the way you were you predicting get, it at all. It gets like ten like, percent. Close. Ten percent credit. That's where I'm going to win a title. They didn't win a title. If you bet on them to to not win the title, you would have won your bet. So right? you get some that, credit. If you make a bet mark and people get injured, does Vegas say, hey, sorry, you know, can't give that me your is, money. That has nothing to do with the other, Patrick. <laughs> absolutely nothing. That I told you guys the Nets weren't going to win a title. They didn't win a title. Didn't even get to the conference finals on your own floor in game seven. And yeah, they, dude, congrats. Because oh, the guy, sucks. Well, I'm, not even, I'm not even getting into this. This it, is just, this is just an imbecile talking. <laughs> That's all this is. This makes zero <laughs> sense. There's no, there's no core. 
There's no correlation here, Pete. What uh, between no, what he's saying and as to what happened. Hey, Zero. at least you guys, you guys, hey, you guys did get one whole round more than the than the Knicks. I guess well, it was, you know, it was a great season. Now, now, is it even dumber that Knicks fans were chanting "We want Brooklyn" after tying the series one-one? I, well, I just it? had to hear for the past five months how Julius Randle was being compared to Larry Bird, and he had a hell of a first round. Let me tell you, <laughs> hell of a first round from yeah, Julius Randle. Absolutely choked. Or maybe he just shouldn't be compared to Larry Bird, Pat. Maybe that's what who it compared is. him to Larry Bird. Was that Pat? He was. Yeah, I said it was. There was a stat. It wasn't me. It was actual factual statuals. Uh, actual factual statuals. Here we go. Julius Randle was the only <laughs> other player in an NBA season to average what was it, twenty-five points in a season, twelve rebounds, seven assists, yeah. and yeah. and shoot forty percent from deep. The and only that, other person yeah. was Larry Bird in NBA history. That is actual yeah. factual and statual. Yeah, it's also irrelevant, Pete. <laughs> It's also extremely I agree relevant. with both of those statements. I agree with both those statements. So what sucks, what about this? What about the fact that we've been talking about this series now, and I know it's about the Nets because they lost, and because Mark's a Nets fan, I was personally pulling for the Nets, even though I'm a Knicks fan, because I don't get the hate for two teams that never played meaningful games against one another, like ever, because they both both mostly suck. Anyways, we haven't mentioned the Bucks at all. And is it because it was like an uninspired victory against a broken team, or do we just not care? Are they not fun? Or is this just a moratorium for the Nets and we'll save that for later? Like, do you feel any type of way, good, bad, and different about the Bucks? I feel like everybody's just so bleh well, about them. I think that's more for you and you and Pat, Pete. I mean, because I, I told you, I thought Giannis was the most impressive in game seven. That's fair. I mean, look, you do, you do that on the road. You come back from 10 down. Um, and again, five with four minutes to go. And you don't score for the first, what, four minutes of OT and you still somehow pull a game out? He had a big bucket down the stretch to tie the game. And then Milton obviously hit the game winner. But, uh, yeah, for me it was, you know, how under the radar. I don't think Giannis is getting nearly enough credit for what he did in this game. Yeah, every, everybody's just like, oh, he can't shoot free throws. Like, yeah, well, he's still putting up like 35 and 12 and like grinding. Like, I don't know. Do you feel good about the Bucks moving forward now, I guess? I don't want to get too sidetracked because we're not going to do a uh, whole preview, but do you feel a more like a bigger sense of confidence after the way they won that series. Absolutely. hundred percent to me with the, especially going into face the Hawks. I look, you guys spoke on it a little bit before. I think that was more bad Sixers than good Hawks. Um, look, you can talk about their depths all, all you want with Atlanta. The fact of the matter is Philadelphia blew an 18 point lead game four and blew a 26 point lead in game five. It should have never even went the distance in my opinion. And if, you know, Ben Simmons didn't pull his disappearing act to final three, four games of the series or however long it was, I mean, dude, Trey Young shoots five for 23 and they still win the game. That's not happening against Milwaukee. It's not. And if it does, I will get up here and I will apologize to whoever you want me to. I may even agree that Boyle was right about the Nets. <laughs> You're right. And again, I just want to remind people, the hatred for the Nets doesn't come from Kevin Durant and Harden and Irving or Kevin Durant and, Ky and Kyrie not going to the Knicks. It is because of the way that everybody talks about, oh, the Nets built so much culture and yeah, and then they got rid of Kenny Atkinson, and then they literally traded all these guys who were their role players for, and you know, you talk about building culture, and you got rid of basically everybody who built that culture. So that was the foundation for my, you know, wanting the Nets to fall flat on their face this year, not just because KD and Kyrie didn't pick the Knicks, but anti-super you know, team in a way. Yeah. Which is yeah, fair. And I think a lot of people team. feel that way, and I think it's it's pretty fair I just don't get why people with the same mindset as you, which I, I totally understand, 
are rooting actively for these teams to lose like early. It's so much more fun when you have that team in the bigger moment and you root for them to like lose in the finals. Like then you have like a true, I don't know. Like for me, I want to see the best teams in the finals. I don't want to see the championship favorite go down in the second round, even though, I mean, they lost to a Bucks team that's supposed to be close to as good as them, but we now know full strength nets blow them out of the water. You know what I mean? So, and, and people just love to hate Kevin Durant as well. You might not, but people do. People yeah, do. I don't hate Kevin Durant. I think he has cemented himself as the greatest player on the planet now going forward. But, um, yeah, every, no, every I, time I you kinda, say that, Mark's I, face I kinda, just goes. <laughs> I kind of disagree with you there, Pete. I, I like when there's upsets early on. I think it's the same reason why we love March Madness. We love to see people's brackets get busted. We love to see the one seed go down to the, to a nine seed. I mean, hell, even Virginia losing to whatever the hell the school is, UMBC, the 16th seed a couple of years ago. Like, I think that's why we love, we love to see a top team who everybody has picked already to win a title, who thinks there's no way in hell they can lose to go down. And again, it was in the most unique of circumstances for Brooklyn, considering they had basically one and a half of their big three for most of this series. But I don't know. I would love to see Atlanta make a run to the NBA finals now, considering nobody has basically given them a chance all year long. I would love to see them go in and take out Milwaukee as well because everybody now, I mean, you look at the odds makers, everybody said, Oh, you know, after it was two Oh, there's no, I mean, we all were saying it, look, two Oh, two dominating performances. We said, this is going to be over in four, maybe five. Yep. And Milwaukee turned the entire series upside down again with the injuries. Yes. We have to mention that, but now everybody's saying oh, Milwaukee, you know, they're what minus 500 favorites to win this series. They're going to, as they should past- be. They're going to run through Atlanta in five, six games. Trey Young can't keep possibly doing this. And he keeps saying, he keeps defying everybody at every single turn, him and all the seven hairs that are left in his head. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't mind to see Atlanta and Phoenix in the NBA finals. TV ratings, it's going to be terrible. I mean, you know, for what people want, I don't give a shit. I'm not, a, I'm, but, I don't, I'm not the president of, of TNT. I'm uh, not the president of ABC. Yeah, I don't work for Disney anymore, so it definitely doesn't matter. But... Two, two points on that front. So you just contradicted yourself in a way. You said we love the upsets and we love this and we love that and we like the underdog coming up and making it all the way. Well, then if we love that so much, why do the ratings freaking plummet when we lose the best teams in the playoffs? So You, you, know, it, you know why, Pete? Because, because Pat you lose is the one casual. of the... It's the outspoken it, minority who you're talking about. It's not it, the, the actual majority of sports fans, right? It's because Pat's one of the few, the proud, the delusional. No, when, it's when not. He's he's that's not delusional. Right There's plenty like, of people. I don't want to see Trey Young in the finals. I kind of do though. That, but that's that's different because he is, he has the persona. He I would say he has, uh, the third best persona left in the playoffs, with Chris Paul being just the legend that he is right now. And then yeah, but I mean, and then Giannis, you can probably argue ahead of Trey, but I think Trey is more polarizing than anybody at this point in time. So bringing him in to the mix is is a little bit more intricate. But, but Mark, the TV I think, ratings. I was just going to say, Mark, I think Pat has a lot in common with a lot of sports fans, and they would think we're delusional because we don't want to see a Cinderella story. Cinderella stories are overrated, in my opinion. Yeah, you Pat say, has lost you the say, plot. No, no, you guys say, Pete, you say TV ratings go down when, you know, the number one seeds don't, when it's not LeBron versus Curry or, yeah. you know, this year Durant when it's not the versus- Nets. When it's not Durant versus LeBron or Durant versus Kawhi. You know, or Chris, or get Chris Paul. Without Kawhi this year. Yeah. But um, no, it's because you lose the water cooler talk casual fan who outside of the playoffs watches no basketball. 
we know we're going to be watching the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals, likely however many games it goes, no matter who's playing. It could have been friggin' two eight seeds. It could have been John Morant versus right. the friggin' yeah, Boston yeah, Celtics. Is, I watched, and we would have been I watching the NBA finals. Where you're going I watched the Kings Magic now. game this year. I'm not afraid to say it. I watched the exactly. Kings Magic game. So I don't, yes, I don't but give Pete, a, not don't every give fan is like No, you. I agree. I don't, I, don't give a like I don't give a shit if, if, like, if the TV ratings for the NBA Finals this year are down. I kind of do, though. You lose as a the fan casual of the NBA. fan who only wants to be able to say, hey, yes. man, you see uh, you see uh, Durant but, that game yesterday and then not yeah. know anything outside of that? Yeah, but the casual fan is the majority here, Pat. That That's where you're, you're missing. I don't care. I don't care. We're not casual fans. But you're talking as if we are the majority, and we're not. Like, no one's going to care if it's Trey Young in the finals. I'm sorry. No one's going to care. They'd no, I disagree. Durant, like you said, Durant against Kawhi. Trey Young's different, though. Trey, I would say they would rather, but Trey Young's different because people want to hate him, too. People want to hate him. They do. I so that, that's that, exciting. Think, people love to I hate. Think, I think the hate majorly stems from the New York area after what he did to the Knicks. I, I don't know if he's hated as Dude, big time in the rest of the even country. Even coming out, even coming out of college because he was shooting so many threes, it was like, it's not going to work in the NBA. He's too small, blah, blah, blah. And now he has this little at- attitude going on that the more I like remove myself as a Knicks fan, which I, I can do probably better than, than most. And that's my, like, it's just facts because most people are not as big NBA fans as they are Knicks fans. I'm as big an NBA fan as I am a Knicks fan. So I can remove the two. I'm starting to like the guy even more, and especially with the way he's playing now. So wait, this is going to be my second point after the ratings thing. If Trey Young really goes goes ahead and does this, right? If he goes to a finals and he happens to win the finals, this would be absolutely unprecedented, just chaos in regards to NBA history because a 22-year-old undersized point guard has never led their team to a championship. It's never happened. The closest thing is a point guard young man named Magic Johnson who also happened to be like 6'8 or whatever the hell he is who played center when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got hurt. Trey Young ain't going in for Clint Capella and doing the tip if, <laughs> if he goes down. He's a six foot two guy who can't guard anybody and he is... At, to this point in the playoffs, picking the entire Eastern Conference to, that he's seen head-to-head apart. So if he actually goes and beats the Bucks and just makes it to the finals, that's unprecedented. If he happens to win the finals, instant legend. And I hate to say it because he doesn't... Dude, tell, <laughs> tell me one other player at his level, his age, his position to do anything close to that. Name one. I'll wait. Pete, it's, 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 not, it's not happening, though. Because, like I said, Milwaukee is not going to do what the Sixers did. You know, Giannis isn't going to go 0 for 12 in the second half of a game. Milwaukee you know, almost lost gonna, to half of James Harden and Kevin Durant with nobody else playing well. And they almost it, lost. It's going to take an injury to Milwaukee for Atlanta to keep this close. It just is. But, like, or so you don't feel any nerves about how Milwaukee just almost couldn't beat half, half of James Harden? Zero. Dude, I don't know, man. I have a. I think. I guess I have this a better is, opinion of the Hawks right now. They move the ball. Is, they play like hard. Said, they got guts. I, I think it's bad Hawks more than anything. And you know, Bogdanovich bad has Sixers, the knee injury, so, so that's not. I mean, bad, bad Sixers more yeah. than anything. You know, Bogdanovich has the knee injury. He's only been playing around twenty minutes. The uh, he left uh, game six or, uh, late. Didn't didn't finish that game. Played only twenty minutes the other night. Um, look, the Bucks are fully healthy. You know, Giannis isn't walking around with torn cartilage in his knee. You know, Drew Holiday doesn't have the ment- – he's got way more mental strength than Ben Simmons. He hasn't this, been uh, the good. Bucks are a better shooting team. Look, they may have struggled against the Nets, but I thought the Nets were 
you know, they held their own on defense in that series. No, Mark, um, Mark, I agree with you on a lot of fronts. Um, with this particular argument, basically everything else, I disagree with you usually at most points, but you know, we <laughs> talk good. about, we, you know, we say, Oh, look, you know, they, this team, Philadelphia choked it away. The nets choked it away. Is it more so like, is it that, or is it almost just as much as look teams that are not as good on paper, the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee bucks. Is it just them finding ways to be resilient and grit out wins, even though they can't, you know, they're not shooting well or, they can't stop Kevin Durant. Like Trey Young, you know, we talk about it being all the 76ers' fault. Trey Young goes five of 23 from the field. Bogdanovich is hurt, and the Atlanta Hawks still find a way to win a game seven on the road against the Philadelphia 76ers. Ginger Mamba. Again, because of Kayvon, because of Kayvon Herter, as they <laughs> no, were calling it's, in the postgame. It's, 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 it's bad Sixers, dude. Ben I think Capella were calling him Kayvon Herter in the press postgame press conference. <laughs> The red magic, red magic, Kevin Herter stepping up in the big moments. That is why the Nets are not playing in the Eastern Conference Finals is because a Joe Harris or a Jeff Green or a Blake Griffin when he was still playing didn't step up to the proportions of a Kevin Herter. And when the games and in the other games that he wasn't playing well in the beginning of the series, it was Bogdanovich. Then one game it was John Collins. Another game it's Capella. Like Pete said, this Atlanta Hawks team, they're deep. If one guy's not carrying his load, you got four other guys there are usually picking up the slack. All right, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you that the guys didn't make shots for the Nets, Pat, but let's not act like the biggest reason that they're not in the conference finals isn't due to the injuries. It, it, that's that's what it is more so than, than anything else. You just you just contradicted yourself with what I was just saying about the Bucks. <laughs> you just contradicted yourself because you said the oh, only reason they made it is because the injuries on the Nets. The Bucks only. Well, no, I'm saying the Nets, the biggest reason the Nets didn't make it to the Eastern Conference finals is because of the injuries. If so facto, I'm your boss. No, I'm just kidding. But. That if the Nets only didn't make because they were injured, that means the Bucks only made it because the Nets were injured. Can't have it both ways. Well, I'm talking strictly about the Nets. The biggest it yeah. was more so. No, you're right. Like let me but, ask, let me ask you this: Is it the injuries more so over the fact that the guys didn't make shots? Yes, the guys didn't make shots. They would have been in. I completely like it, I said. Yeah, I agree both. with both. They're both. But true, to right? me, the yeah. bigger reason is obviously because Kyrie and, and Harden didn't yeah. play. You're right. However, I think there's a much bigger disparity here in talent and in you know who's better than in Milwaukee than Atlanta. You know, if Atlanta played the Nets, even at with the roster the Nets had with the injuries, I still think the Nets get by the Hawks. I think we're sleeping. We've been sleeping for two rounds. And everybody, I'm not sleeping. I everybody, sleeping. I don't Actually, sleep. I did so. sleep because I took Philadelphia money line <laughs> in a parlay. But, still. But, no, but no, like, I think we all have been underestimating the Hawks since the Knicks-Hawks series was, you know, realized, right? When that one came up, it was like, yes, the Knicks got the best draw they possibly could. And what did the Hawks do? They gentlemen sweeped them. They should have won in four. They won in five, and they ran them out of the building. And then, yes, Embiid's on the torn meniscus, but he played pretty well in a lot of moments, a lot of moments. And, yes, they fell apart with Ben Simmons, but like we talked about before, the fit of this team post-Lloyd Pierce, post-return of Bogdan Bogdanovich, has been really, really good, and they're missing DeAndre Hunter. It's not like they're 100% health, too, and they're just finding a way. And we, uh, what do you guys think about that uh, thing I brought up before with the stars? Like everybody who's a casual fan, we're talking about casual fans here. They're all like, "Oh, the NBA is not my thing because we know who's going to make the finals. It's just the biggest stars. They make it every year. Nothing else matters. And like as long as you have LeBron or Durant, you're in the finals. But time and time again, and this year more so than ever, we are literally seeing in front of our own eyes. It's always true, but more so now than ever." 
that the other guys in the team makeup really does matter. Like, how do you guys balance that out? I, you guys are not casual fans of NBA, but what do you think? Well, one thing I, I do, one thing ahead, I do worry about, yeah, one thing I do worry about is because of the pandemic shortened season last year, having to play the finals in what? When were the finals? October, September. Yeah, September I think is when they finally ended, uh, and yeah. then having to play, having to play this. It was the end of August. I don't even remember. I, I got dementia, but um, a little I, young I think, for that. But you know, go ahead. With with this season is, you know, unprecedented amounts of injuries, and especially here in these playoffs, to the biggest teams that we thought were going to make the playoffs. Anthony Davis and LeBron definitely not being 100%. Davis nowhere close to 100%. That's a big reason why the Lakers got ousted. The Nets, Harden and Irving hurt. Big reason why. Biggest reason why they got ousted. Um, the Clippers, if Kawhi can't go, are they going to be able to get past the Suns? And even then, CP3 probably going to miss the first two or three games. They're taking care of business. But, Pete, I wonder, is it because of all the injuries we've seen this year, is this a playoffs unlike any other we'll ever see again? Because most years, more than not, the star players usually are healthy, at least for the majority, unless you have a, you know, one or two, um, you know, one one per series or one one or two big stars go out in the playoffs. Because usually, for the most part, the star players are able to stay healthy. Yeah, I think we've been kind of spoiled when we got the run of LeBron and Curry and Cavs and Warriors, the arguably the two best teams on paper. We were able to see them in the finals, what, four years out of five? Yeah, that was unprecedented. In a row. That was unprecedented. That, like, and, everybody, and everybody got so turned off by it, but now we're but They seeing, were the best ratings you know, of years we had. You know what I'm saying? One or two one or two stars go down, and all, all fucking hell could break loose. It's a really good point, uh, but my argument to that would be every year, every iteration of that Warriors team, every iteration of that Cavs team had others step up. That Cavs team, when they actually won the championship, it was because they had veterans like Richard Jefferson and Channing Frye, and J.R. Smith know what to do on the basketball court. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen LeBron play with other teams where the others don't step up, and it's him against the world, and it gets ugly. You know what I mean? When Kyrie and Kevin Love were both banged up in that first finals against the Warriors, right? They had nobody else to go with. So I think the others always matter would be my argument to that argument. Uh, But no, that was a great point by you. Yeah, and then let's let's um you know let's get into the Sixers Hawks series here a little bit because we kind of went on a giant giant, giant sidebar, which I did appreciate. I think it was for some really good chatter. But uh, you know, again, Boyle Shen Show, Subway Sports Talk mix up here. Pete, go ahead. I have one uh, additional segue to your segue. Posted on Subway Sports Talk Instagram. A little poll. Bigger disappointment. Very simple, right? Bigger disappointment, the Brooklyn Nets or the Philadelphia 76ers. Can you believe? Out of 100 votes, which it's actually 99 votes right now. 51 votes for the Sixers. Uh, yeah, 51 votes for the Sixers. 48 for the Nets. Almost dead even, which is insane to me, thinking about the injuries. Continue. That is absurd to me because I think the Philadelphia 76ers, like as Mark said, blowing massive leads in games four and five. 18-point lead, 26-point lead. Then going on the road to win in Atlanta in game six the way they did. Coming back home, you think, with how dominant this team has been here at home. You don't care that Atlanta's already beaten them in the Wells Fargo twice already in this series. It's not going to happen again. And what happens over the final 10 minutes or so? Ben Simmons pulls 
a Houdini act really for the entire game and really for most of the entire series, especially in the fourth quarter. I think he took all of four shots in the fourth quarter and the entirety of this seven game series right, right out of the gate. I think we can all agree. He is the first person to blame Joel Embiid literally threw him under the bus in the post game press conference. They asked him, where did you think the turning point of this game was? He goes, um, I don't know how to say this when we passed up uh, an open dunk and then made one of two free throws. I mean, the, uh, you, you you almost, I guess, in a, like a little bit deep down, you feel bad for Ben Simmons because of how just you could see how scared of how scared of the moment he was. He did not want to shoot free throws. He had an open dunk and he gives it up to Thibel. But he's he's the first person to think, but the 76ers just could not make shots at the end of this game. Same with the Brooklyn Nets, but they weren't hurt. They basically had all of their stars. Everybody you you thought would be there. Tobias Harris. 8 of 24 from the field. Embiid, if he's, you know, if he's not making shots, if Embiid doesn't go for 31 and go 11 of 21 from the field and 7 of 10 from the free throw line, which even then he probably should be going 9 out of 10 most nights, they lose this game probably by double digits. I mean, they just could not get a single person to make shots down the stretch. Shake Milton, we I, I was applauding this man weeks, a couple of weeks ago down the stretch when the Sixers, you're thinking, wow, they got Shake Milton getting into the mix now. Seth Curry's starting to step up. I mean, these guys were just nowhere to be found. How do you have a team as deep as no need and I guess a little bit of, of Tobias Harris contributing? I mean, it's got to be one of the most epic choke jobs considering the two massive leads they blew and then losing game sevens at home that I've ever seen. And again, who is the underlying character at, at the hands of all this? Doc Rivers. Outside of winning the 2008 NBA Finals, this man has been one of the biggest abysmal performances, failures of in the NBA postseason that we have seen over the last 15 years. And that's where I'll turn it over to you guys because it was just disgusting. Disgusting that they couldn't get it done. We should have been treated to 76ers bucks if we couldn't have 76ers nets. <laughs> I mean... Well, look... <laughs> All right, I, I'll go. Look, I'm going to sound like a broken record here. The answer is obviously the Sixers. I've been saying it's bad Sixers for the past, you know, 50 minutes to an hour, however long this has been going. And I'll, I'll just keep saying it. You know, they lack leadership. What have they ever proven? And I told I told you guys a couple of times ago when we had Pete back on the show, I was never sold on the Sixers going into these playoffs. That being said, they still blew an 18-point lead, a 26-point lead in this series. And, you know, you win game six and – you're going back to game seven. I don't know if you guys know this, but the team with the best record in the NBA at home over the past two seasons is the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, that is unacceptable. And Ben Simmons, and what it really comes down to, you know, Ben Simmons, everybody on the roster, Ben Simmons down to Embiid. They really just lack leadership. And you, you can't trust these guys in the, in the last five minutes of the game because their offense bogs down. And it's like they can't get enough spacing. And then they can't score in crunch time. And, you know, Embiid wants to go and talk there and take pot shots at Ben Simmons after the game. Dude, your eight turnovers didn't help the cause either, especially with all those down the stretch in the fourth quarter. So <clears throat> I look at the big picture. I think everybody deserves their fair share of blame here because, you know, you can easily go back and point to the second half where Embiid went over 12. I mean, you don't see Ben Simmons get up there and taking shots at him after the game. So I think yeah, everybody no deserves way. their fair share of blame. 
Uh, he had no right to take shots at Joel Embiid, but I, I agree with you. Embiid definitely deserves some, but he also has the, I played on a torn meniscus, and throw me a bone, right? But agreed. Sure. Great point by you. The only person who definitely does not deserve any blame, not even the smallest slice of the pie, not even a little bit, is Seth Curry. Do you, I agree. Do you know that Seth Curry, in the playoffs, in 12 games, averaged 19 points on 50% shooting from three? On seven attempts a game, he shot 50% on seven attempts, 19 points. He also, two and a half assists, and he's more than just a shooter. Like, this guy really balled out. And what in the hell does it say about the Philadelphia 76ers that everybody watching that game was like, Seth Curry has to take the biggest shot or else they got nothing. Seth Curry has to do this or else they got nothing. It's Embiid and Curry versus the world. And I don't care that Tobias Harris... Averaged 22 points in the playoffs. He had 24 points or 20. What do you, what do you, have, what do you have on the game seven? 24 on yeah. eight for 24 shooting. Yeah, 24 on eight for 24, which is bad. You should not have the same amount of points as you have shots. That's not good. Yeah, he had 14 rebounds, but he looked afraid. So I'm going to do two things at once here. I'm going to say, Tobias Harris, why do you still score 24 points and none of them matter and you don't have a winning impact on the game? But on the other hand, you may have looked scared every single time you took a layup in that game, but at least he freaking took it. At least he tried. My guy had alligator arms going in for a layup. Like, he was scared. And I hate to, to say that because I don't like to attack a person like that, like a human being like that. But at least he went for it. His counterpart, Ben Simmons, won't even freaking go for it. I, I don't know. I'm just tired. This was the year where Sixers fans kind of had it on me like, Hey, Tobias, man, he's really doing it this year. He's really carrying his portion of load. I was, I was saying that to load. you a couple weeks ago. And I was starting to be like, listen, I can't really dispute it. His numbers are off the charts. He's kind of done this before, but it does feel a little bit different this year. Maybe he'll get he'll get right in the playoffs. And he still is a disappearing act in, in the fourth quarter. Like, where's he at? It, it's literally Embiid, Seth Curry, or die for the Philadelphia 76ers. And guess what? This time, they died. It was it. I think it's fair to say the process... Is over. Mm. Although although Doc Rivers reinforced his commitment to Ben Simmons, I think uh, just earlier to, on on Monday, by saying, "Look, he has committed to improving over the summer." I feel like we hear the same story though every single year. So maybe I, yeah, it's just a broken record. Oh, Ben Simmons, uh, you know, skipping out on on so and so because he wants to improve his skills. Ben Simmons skipping out of the Olympics this year. He's literally not playing with Team Australia this summer to devote himself to working on his skills. So maybe he'll go, uh, you know, 18 of 45 from the free throw line next, uh, next postseason series instead of 15 of 45. And maybe he'll shoot 16% from deep next year instead of however, whatever God, God awful shooting percentage he was from behind the arc this year. I mean, look, the Philadelphia 76ers have a giant issue. No, look, they can go 49 and 23 or over the course of an 82 game season, they can go 54 and 28, and, and, you know, get the number one seed and make everybody think they're going to be great. But this is now year after year where this team comes up big time short, miserably short in the postseason. Whether it's Coach Brown, whether it's now Doc Rivers, no matter who it is, this team cannot get it done. And outside of Joel Embiid, there was no other player. I mean, I guess even Seth Curry now in this series, there's really no other player, though, that you trust. I mean, how long, you know, how many times, how long were we hearing about Shake Milton's going to be a guy that's going to be averaging 20 points a game for this team? Frakun Korkmaz is going to be a best one of the best three-point specialists in this league. I mean, these guys were ghosts. These guys were ghosts in this postseason series. And the same thing with the Brooklyn Nets in Game 7. It was Durant. 
a little bit of Harden and everybody and, and Blake Griffin and everybody else had contributed next to nothing. How do you how do you fix this if you're the Philadelphia Philadelphia 76ers? I don't think Ben Simmons is on this team in the future. Outside of being one of the best defenders in the NBA, he on he now for me he offers next to nothing offensively. Offers next to nothing. He's he's not even as good of a point guard as Joel Embiid is on this team. <laughs> Embiid does a better job right. facilitating this offense. No, you you say that, that. Is, that is they not work true better. They work better off the pick and roll with Embiid and off Embiid driving and kicking out to his teammates than Simmons does because nobody's scared of Simmons to shoot the ball from inside from outside of ten feet. Look, you can say what you want. Ben Simmons still had fourteen assists last night in Game Seven. You know. Yeah, he's, um, he's just not a threat to yeah, score. And how many and how many of those you, you, were him? How many of those were him just finding an open an open teammate uh, because there was a breakdown right. in defense so, from so Atlanta? Because blame, Atlanta, we're blame because Atlanta's perimeter. Then, all right. Mark, why watch the game? Atlanta's perimeter okay. defense stinks. There was times where he had he had Harris wide open, or Time he was out. able to find where he was able to find MB, and then Joel MB dribbled out. and took I'm a out. six foot mid range jump got, shot, and I'm nobody's guarding that. He had so many empty assists. I'm going to tee you up. You want to go and congratulate Embiid for kicking open shooters at the three-point line that you just tell me Atlanta's perimeter defense is porous. You can't have it both ways. Ooh. You can't say the assists count for Embiid, but they don't count for Simmons. If so, fact, you can't. he's your boss. But I'm, he's a point guard. Ben Simmons is a point guard, and he's not even the best point guard on the team. That's the argument right. I'm making. Let me, let me shed some light here on the Ben Simmons argument because, Pat, what I'm saying it, it's because – hold on, Pete. I'm just saying it's because he has little to no threat of actually scoring the basketball that – you're not worried about him. What did you, you say? How, how, how much they sagged off him when he has the ball? He gives you nothing on offense. And yes, he's one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Not taking that away from him. But for somebody who's getting paid, how much is he getting paid? $175 million? Yep. $180 million? That's the guy that's getting paid $180 million to play great defense and do shit, do jack shit on offense? Especially in the fourth quarter. He doesn't want to hold the ball for more than three seconds in the fourth quarter. It's ugly. What did you say to me last night when you called me, Pat, when we were talking about doing this episode? Mm. You remember? It was about Ben Simmons. I said he sucks. No, you said what? what... <laughs> I don't know. I didn't go to bed at 3 a.m. last night. My, my brain is jarred right now. <laughs> you said what you thought I was going to feel about or what I was going to do with Ben Simmons. I was going to defend him, you thought. Oh, I said I can't wait for I feel like Pete, Pete Kennedy, for those of you listening to Subway Sports Talk, you know, tremendous host, guy knows his shit. But I feel like, Pete, you have some irrational defensives of certain players in certain spots. And I felt like last night was a spot where you could have maybe defended Ben Simmons in some way by saying, you know, he, do, you know, like maybe the 13 assists, like Mark's trying to give him credit for 14, or, 14 <laughs> or by saying, or by saying, hey, you know, at least he plays, he plays some of the best defense this NBA has seen over the last two, three seasons. And you said, nope. No shot in hell. Yeah. I mean, it's indefensible what he just did in the fourth quarters of games one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Literally, all seven games, indefensible fourth quarters for Ben Simmons. What I will do for Ben Simmons here is say he is just 25 and he has five more years of elite athleticism to at least figure out how to take a layup with the right hand, right? To at least learn how to make make a floater and start using his right hand a little more because he is a righty. All the statistics, if you hear Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer ever talk about it, he shoots like 80% of his shots with his right hand. And yet all his jump shots and free throws are lefty. It's very, very silly. But I'm not going to defend Ben Simmons for anything that he did over the past couple weeks. What I will say, though, is to say that he is now an absolute zero and that this and that, like, 
all this stuff, all that's going to do is really, it's going to hurt perhaps what the Sixers can get back for him. But you will be just, you'll be deemed wrong if you say he's going to be a zero moving forward because he has a very, very solid place in this league. In fact, he will make more all-star teams. In fact, who will make more all-defensive teams? He probably may at some point make another all-NBA team. Now, that's not going to happen tomorrow. It's probably not going to happen next year because people have such a bad taste in his mouth. But he has time to not be an absolute scaredy cat to, to shoot layups. I'm not even talking about him shooting jumpers anymore. I'm like, oh, I'm not even there yet. Just taking layups. Like, he can get back to that, and then when he does get back to that, he's going to average 17, 9, and 8 again, and we're going to be like, oh, yeah, this guy really does add a lot. And then if he blows in the playoffs again, we're going to have this conversation again and again and again. So I'm not defending Ben Simmons, but I will defend the fact that he's a zero in this league because that's just not true. Now, when defenses get to plan for a seven-game series against him, you see all of his weaknesses get highlighted tenfold. In the regular seasons, he will 100% be effective. That's just guaranteed. We've seen it for five years now. And he has five years of prime, at least, left of elite athleticism to at least take a freaking layup in playoff games moving forward. So I'm not going to sit here and defend Ben Simmons, but I will sit here and feel pretty confident that he will be a pivotal part of playoff teams for the next five to six years. It's just that's what's going to happen. He may continue to blow it, but he's going to be there because he's going to continuously show that he belongs until he blows it. It's kind of like James Harden. I'll sit here and defend James Harden all day and night, and that's one of my blind spots. You're talking about my irrational defenses. It's me defending James Harden in the playoffs because he has terrible playoff uh, uh, performances on his resume. He really does. And yet every year, he's in the conference finals. You know, give or take. Last year, he made it to the second round. This year, second round, he's hurt, whatever. Ben Simmons is going to be on really good teams no matter where he is. And if he's on the team that's built for him, he'll look even better. But the Embiid-Simmons thing is we're just finding out officially it may have not been official before. It may have just been believed before. Now it's official. It's not going to work with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris. It's not a trio that's getting you anywhere close to the promised land. So no, no true defense of what he just did, but a defense of what he is in this league still. I just I disagree, though, Pete. I mean, in defense of a guy that is one of the best defenders and is a solid point guard, yes. But this is a guy who is, like you just said, has the chance to maybe make another all-NBA team at some point in his career. A guy yeah. that's making a, a max contract, $180 million. Yeah. For a guy for, to perform like that, to come up completely empty in the biggest moments time and time again in the fourth quarter in seven straight games. Empty. Terrible. You right. know, he did shoot 50% from the field in game seven, by the way. He shot 100% yeah, field goal. <laughs> Look, to me, the the argument here is more because he, you know, shied away from the moment rather than his actual skill level. Um, Guys like Ben Simmons don't grow on trees. You know, he's what, 6'9", 6'10", plays point guard, can handle the ball, can pass. I mean, some people think the center is the best passer on the team. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um, plays elite defense. Look, the guy's a jump shot away from being a top five point guard in the NBA. The floater. He's a layup away. You, you know, like, yeah, even, even that, even more to my point, Pete. Um, do I think 
he's going to last in Philadelphia with the way those fans are. Unfortunately, I don't think so. But if they do get rid of him, I think Philadelphia is going to be, uh, if they don't get, you know, something just as good back for him, or if they have to, you know, tr- uh, trade him pennies on the dollar, I think they're really going to regret it. I agree. And that's, that's my point. Exactly, Mark. And I don't think this is actually, you said the, the process is officially dead. I think that's okay because a new process is beginning and it's Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey has consistently put teams in the conference finals, top tier championship contenders. They didn't get it over the hump against the Warriors era, but they had best chances of anybody in the league to make it over that hump with Daryl Morey creating these teams in Houston. And I think the Sixers are going to be fine. And I also don't think Daryl Morey would ever accept a trade for pennies on the dollar for Ben Simmons. We could actually do a quick five minutes here on what some of those trades possibly could be. And I just think the Sixers keep saying, now nah, we're good. Now nah, we're good. Now nah, we're good. We'll keep doing some other moves. Maybe we'll get another guy who's uh, going to be able to take some charge in fourth quarters and play make a little more to make up for Ben Simmons, you know, woes, if you will. But if, if the Sixers are going to get back, and I'm just going to use the Knicks as an example. He's not getting traded to the Knicks. It doesn't make sense at all. But if, if they're going to get back fucking Obi Toppin and three draft picks, that's no no chance in hell Daryl Morey accepts any deal of that nature. Draft picks don't help Joel Embiid right now. So it's either, oh, get a bunch of draft picks and piss off Joel Embiid and have a shit product, or continue to run out Ben Simmons, continue to be a top three seed in the East, and try to make other moves to make this team a little more viable come playoff time. And it may be Ben Simmons sitting on the bench in the final three minutes because he can't hit a free throw. He got him there. And maybe that's uh, an overpay. It probably is an overpay. But guess what? They're overpaying for Tobias Harris. And I'm not ready to sit here and crush Ben Simmons for this entire uh, show when Tobias Harris disappears every time when he's getting overpaid by $20 million as well. Not $20 million, obviously. It's an exaggeration. But the point stands. Like, Ben Simmons was abysmal. He has the biggest slice of pie on the blame chart. He does, 100%. But Doc Rivers has a huge slice. Tobias Harris has a huge slice. And there's other things to change to allow Ben Simmons to continue to do what he does if they can't make a good trade, where they're still going to be in these opportunities in conference finals and second rounds of the playoffs every single year. And unless you get a C.J. McCollum back or a Zach Levine back, which could possibly make sense, or somebody like even an old DeMar DeRozan, who's not a three-point shooter but a shooter and a facilitator, unless you get somebody like that who's ready to help the team right now, Ben Simmons will be a Philadelphia 76er next year. Because draft picks do zero for the Sixers right now. Pete, I, I, I agree with you. You can't get I don't think you can get rid of him yet. I, I can't believe I'm saying it. And in fact, but you just can't. You wait and let him continue to dominate defensively, average 15, 10, and 8 again next year. And there's yeah. gonna be a team then who will take him with open arms and send back something good for him because he's that valuable. Yeah, I think we both agree. It's more of, you know, what he chose not to do rather than, you know, what he can't do and what he's not capable of doing. You know, like you said, he wasn't even taking layups at, at this point. His confidence was that shook for, for whatever reason. Um, so I think he's got a better chance of, of him improving that. And like there's more potential for him improving that to where they can go than what they could trade for him and get back. And that's at why least you, right now. That's why you have to commend Giannis for airballing free throws and continuously driving. Full force, full force ahead. And he was shooting just as bad and more embarrassing than Ben Simmons. It was more embarrassing. He was airballed three free throws against the Nets in game seven. And he still attacked every single time. 
Maybe Ben Simmons is too afraid to look lame. He wants to be cool too bad. I think that's part of it, honestly. That's why he doesn't shoot. He's too nervous to look like an idiot. So, I mean, I, I give Giannis credit for, for letting it fly and continuing to attack, and Ben Simmons needs to realize if, if he doesn't figure out that he has a gaping hole in helping his team win in the playoffs and he has to do something about it, then I am 100% wrong, and he'll be, you know, on the Orlando Magic winning 32 games for the rest of his career. But I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, you, you, go ahead, Pat, go ahead. No, I just I just don't know how many more years you can you can kind of endure this as a as a 76ers fan. I mean, look, I I couldn't care less for them. Yeah, you know, oh, Sixers Philly, fans want him gone. Yes, classic classic Philly throwing garbage and and bottles and cans onto the <laughs> onto the court as the game's ending. I was like, oh, there there's Philadelphia for you. So I mean, I, I couldn't care less about a 76ers fan, but like, I mean, you gotta you know if you're putting yourself in their shoes, like you've been told now for eight, seven, eight, nine years now that. Trust the process. Trust the process. Brett Brown, trust the process. Gone. Doc Rivers, trust the process. Another postseason choke. Embiid's going to carry us. Trust the process. Haven't made an NBA Finals. Haven't even made an Eastern Conference Finals. So how much longer can you do this before realizing, hey, maybe we just fucked up. Maybe we just need to to hit the restart button here with everybody outside of Joel Embiid because it is not working. And if you want to go further into the process and the failures there – Let's think about some of the other things. They had all these top draft picks, right? Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are the only two that really, really hit. Think about Markel Fultz becoming an absolute bust. Shame that he actually was making his way back before he tore his ACL this year. Uh, They could have had Jason Tatum. He is the guy. Now, obviously, they don't get a Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum doesn't grow on trees. They're not going to get him out of the blue. And uh, if anybody at Jason Tatum's level gets a call to to trade for Ben Simmons straight up, they're going to laugh in your face, right? But... That's today. And the more separation we get from this meltdown of fourth quarters from Ben Simmons, the more his trade value ticks back up because all the GMs in their offices doing all the math, punching all the numbers are like, hey, maybe he'll blow it in the playoffs, but he'll definitely help us get there. And that means something. It means a lot in this league, right? So it's also not just uh, taking Fultz over Jason Tatum and Nerlens Noel and Michael Carter-Williams and all the other guys they whiffed on. It's taking Mikkel Bridges, a Philadelphia guy whose mom worked for the organization, and trading him for a guy who trading him away for Zaire Smith, who hasn't played like an NBA game in his career almost because he got sick and then hurt and blah blah blah. So it's more than just Ben Simmons. It's overpaying for Tobias Harris. It's trading for Jimmy Butler and then kind of pushing him away because he was like too intense because he wanted to win too bad. It's not just about Ben Simmons' lack of confidence. It's a lot about the Philadelphia 76ers front office's ineptitude and getting rid of all the shooters. When was this team closest? When they had Jimmy Butler, Ersan Ilyasova, Marco Bellinelli, J.J. Redick, <laughs> old veterans who weren't scared, who actually, in fact, probably took too many shots. Marco Bellinelli's confidence is too high. And like they, they need guys like that, and that's what's going to help push Joel Embiid over the hump. Find a, another Seth Curry on the street somewhere. I mean, that would be... Uh, the real thing that can push him over the hump. And then Ben Simmons, uh, his his holes become a little smaller. Well said, Pete. I mean, I, that's my that's the only way. I, I drove home today from work. I have an hour drive commute now. And I thought for like 20 minutes, how can I even spin zone Ben Simmons positive even a little bit? That was the best I got. I tried my best, Pat. I told you I'd play devil's advocate for you. No, I mean, that was well done. Yeah, I also I love the the mentions of... 
Ilyasova and <laughs> JJ Redick and and teams like that. I mean, that was 2018. Yeah, and that, that was not even that that was 2019. The, that was two years ago, and that was easily the most fun and closest to glory Sixers team that we've had since the process. Oh yeah, Embiid, Butler, Harris, Simmons, Dario Sharch, Redick. Yeah. At least that team, I feel like that was fun watching this team. I'm again, I'm not even I'm the furthest thing from a Sixers fan. I wanted to rip my hair out watching these last couple of games with them. Right. Because what does Joel, what does Ben Simmons need, right? If you build the perfect team for Ben Simmons, it's like the Atlanta Hawks, really. Rim running big, who doesn't need the ball, Clint Capella, and shooters on shooters on shooters. That's it. That's what you need. You don't need Joel Embiid. You don't need Tobias Harris, even though he's a good shooter. He's not a true, true floor space where people are shivering in their boots. You know, that when they had all shooters all around, that was when Ben Simmons looked the best. He hasn't looked as good since. So it's not just Ben Simmons holes. It's the Sixers not putting together the right team as well. That being said, he is still an absolute thud on offense 60 <laughs> yeah. to 75% of the time. Oh, it's so ugly, man. You got to see the freaking defense just backing up. Like, yeah, bro, shoot. I don't care. Go ahead. Literally <laughs> shoot. You're, you're outside of eight feet. Go ahead. Oh, oh you're, you're right under the basket wide open. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Dunk the ball. Yeah. No, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and it was t- it was Trey Young under the hoop too. It was Trey Young. He could have literally just had to go like this and just put his hands up, and he could have literally like a six like a six year old just oh, yeeted the ball at the, at the glass from a foot away, and it would have went in. God. And I'm a Ben Simmons guy. I have been, and I can't be as much anymore. Now I have to find all these creative ways to defend the guy. I have to put him. I don't even know what find I'm creative about. ways to defend his value. Yeah, I have to. I have to do it. <laughs> Uh, at least, well, at least, hey, at least I'm fun. aware of it. <laughs> this was fun, and now we get now we get Hawks Bucks. I'm gonna be rooting for the Hawks. I'm gonna be rooting Money for the Hawks because I want a prediction right now. Let's do that. Let's do predictions. Realistically, I think it could. It's going at least six. I don't think they get beat four one. No shot. I think it goes six minimum. I think there's a good chance it goes seven. I mean, look, this team has just continued to defy the odds time and time again. You can no longer say, oh, how long are they going to keep doing this? When you got guys like Kayvon Herter going for 27 <laughs> in game seven on the road, putting on an absolute goddamn show. When you've got Bogdanovich, if he can get healthy, is right up there with Joe Harris. Again, don't say Joe Harris's name as of the last couple of nights. But, you know, for the most part over the last three years, just as good as a three-point shooter as Joe Harris, only behind Steph Curry. When you've got Capella, who is – unbelievable protecting the rim. And again, you throw the ball anywhere near the vicinity of the hoop in the air, he's going to grab it and, and slam it down. And you got Trey Young. I, again, Pete, I'm a, we're Knicks fans. Yeah. How can you hate Trey Young? When you he's have to done, respect when he's it. Done. You, hate, you might hate him, but you should be tipping your I do cap. hate him, but you got yeah, to respect. That's what I'm saying. You can't, dis- you, can't, you can't not respect what he's done. Mark, can and I? Can I, I just, uh, the, the fact oh. that this team has defied all odds all season long, they're not just going to lo- you know, roll over and say, all right, Milwaukee, you know, we had a good run, but go ahead. Like They're going to have a plan for Giannis. Capella is going to be on him. Giannis is still going to get his numbers, but it's going to come down to their ability to make shots versus Milwaukee's ability to make shots on the perimeter and them being able to defend the pick and roll, them being able to defend the alley-oop. And again, if everybody stays healthy, I think Atlanta is a deeper team than Milwaukee. They don't have much star power. They don't have much talent as paper, but they are deeper. They're definitely you deeper. Get- and if you get two or three guys that can pick up the slack, if one of your star players, like Trey Young, going five of twenty-three from the field, who's you know to pick up the slack when your star player is not doing it, I'm not so sure Milwaukee can can do that. 
because Drew Holiday going into that fourth quarter in game seven on Saturday was abysmal. Now, look, he stepped up. He had a pretty – actually a really nice fourth quarter. And that's a guy that has a lot of confidence. But, you know, for the most part, for the entirety of the game, he was bad. Yeah. And if, you know, Giannis, for the most part, is going to get his 30, he's going to take a ton of shots. He's going to demand a ton of time on the ball. He's going to have, he's going to have a ton of possessions. He's going to commit six to probably five to six turnovers a game. Does Milwaukee have a guy, especially with DiVincenzo probably still being out? Do they have other guys that can come up in big spots like we've seen Atlanta basically produce guys out of the woodwork game after game that can come up and hit big shots? Yeah. Wait, Mark, because I think you're most likely going Milwaukee is is what we're what we're hearing. So let me go first. So go I could try <laughs> so I could try to to change your mind here because I'm getting the more I think about it, the more confident I'm getting in the Atlanta so, Hawks. So hold on though. Pat, what was the prediction? How many games oh, yeah, are yeah. you going to I'd say Bucks, Bucks and seven. After Bucks all seven, that. Okay. After all that. Okay. After all that, still Bucks and seven. All okay. right. So let me let me go here. Let me go here. If first of all, if you think Trey Young has been getting to the lane with ease against the Knicks and then the Sixers, just wait until you see what Brooke Lopez does when he's in a pick and roll. He'll be under the hoop. And Trey Young will get a million floaters. And if he does what Trey Young does, he'll make a lot of them. Now it's a, it's going to become a Drew Holiday defensive series. Can he actually make Trey uncomfortable? Because Trey hasn't been made uncomfortable yet. Ben Simmons did a pretty damn good job on it, and still Trey was getting off his and setting up his teammates. Now here's my question for you guys: All these series, all these games have been coming down to the wire. Who do you trust more in a two point game or a tie game with under two minutes left? The Milwaukee Bucks, who had to crawl and and grind their way to beat a half-broken Nets team or the man who has gotten to his spot at will this entire freaking playoff series in Trey Young, who's trust his teammates, who's been making the right passes, who can shoot the three, step back, stand still, doesn't matter, end the float game, and draw all the bullshit fouls you want. I'm telling you right now, if it's a close game, if it's two minutes left and it's tied, I trust what Trey Young is going to do on offense 10 times more than what the Bucks are going to do because they are abysmal half the times. They don't put together good OT out-of-timeout um, plays. They don't do that. If Giannis gets the ball, he doesn't really put it together late in the game. It's going to become... They saved Budenholzer's job winning that game seven. He was gone if they lost that game. Oh, gone, gone. And and who do you trust more getting a last shot? Chris Middleton or, or Trey Young? Because that's what it's going to come down to. That's what it's going to come down to. And right now, I trust Trey Young more. I'm going Hawks in seven. I was going to say six, but I'll say seven. Hawks in seven. They win on Milwaukee's floor. Doesn't even matter. They don't care. They're going to win in New York. They're going to win in Philadelphia. They're going to win in Milwaukee. And Trey Young is going to have half the world hating him and half the world going, holy shit, this guy's doing that? That's what's going to happen. Mark, did I, did I move you an inch, Mark? Yeah, I think your tr- I think seven. your trust I think your trust is greatly misplaced here. Um, <laughs> look to me this this series goes as long as the Milwaukee Bucks want it to go. Oh. In, in my opinion, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they are extremely outmatched coming into this series. The length of the Bucks is going to frustrate the Hawks big time here. Um, the, the Sixers length. No, the Milwaukee's land is going to greatly frustrate the Hawks here in this series. A um, couple of things. The Bucs have yet to lose a game at home in the entire playoffs. 
I don't envision them blowing a 26-point lead or an 18-point lead here and there. Look, you want to talk about down the stretch. Look at Milwaukee, what they did in game three. Down three, down 2-0 in the series with a minute 20. They came back, stole that game. Game seven, they're down five with four minutes. And look, I know I said earlier, KD, and I put, kind of put the blame on them. You got to bring it home. But they still did do it. You know, they go on a, what? A, they, it went from 101-96 to a 109-105 lead. And if Durant doesn't go God mode in the final minute, the Bucks win that game in regulation. Um, so it's not like they've choked down the stretch in, in these games, you know. Um, Trey Young can, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do, but I just don't think it's going to matter because the Bucks have beaten the Nets. And I think the Nets, even at that strength that they had, I think they're a better team than, than Atlanta here because I still think it was more bad Sixers. I've said that a million times. It was more bad Sixers than good Hawks in the series. So, Pat, you had Bucks in seven. Pete, you had Hawks in six. Look, if Milwaukee does what they should do, it should be four or five games. Oh. It really should be. It should be 2-0 after two games regardless. And then if I think they get one game at home, and then I think Milwaukee closes them out in five at the worst case. You're saying gentleman sweep. Well, gentleman sweep is what, five? Or is it yeah, losing five. the first one and then winning the next four? Yeah, either way, win the first, win, uh, lose the first, win the next four, win three, lose one, then win the fifth. They're all the same. I say four, four or five games, max. Wow! Wow! All right, max. Here we are. It's on wax, baby. It's on wax. When these series are done, we'll come back. We'll come back out here and we'll we'll talk it out again. I can't wait. Now I'm so excited for this series more than I was before. This is fantastic. This would be one of the most unbelievable jobs ever if Trey Young gets this team to the finals. Yes. Ever. It has been so far. And Nate (laughs) McMillan. Pat, you know, Pat, Pat, Pat wants to take the Hawks so bad. Pat, you, uh, think, how bad do you want to take the Hawks right now? I know you want it. You got good value, man, but I just... I, I think they're about to run into you a Bucks buzzsaw. Think, That's what I think is going to happen. You think sooner or later a team on paper is, is going to do what they're supposed to do? I mean, this NBA playoffs, we've seen basically anything but this round, but I'd be, I, I would be stunned. I, was, I can't say I'd be stunned because they continue to stun you. But it still would surprise me if Atlanta was able to win this series. It would surprise me if Atlanta even gets to seven games. No, stop. I think they can push it to seven. I think they can push it to seven. But if they they aren't able to once again win a game seven on the road, that would surprise me. Giannis cannot come up short here. He can, though. He, this he would be shoot. a major, major hit for everything he just – this would be a race. The Brooklyn series would be erased if they lose this series. It would be erased. Yeah. And for as much as Ben Simmons is getting killed, Giannis may be getting killed even more. Giannis was if he already can't get past Atlanta. Giannis was already the scapegoat going in because he had already failed in the playoffs back to back years. So yep. he, it's not like he came in with a great resume. He and he hardly boosted it, in my opinion, with the the Nets thing. Look, man, who, who's going to so, guard him? Who, who's going to guard him? Who's going to check him? Capella? Yeah. Blake Blake Griffin was guarding him last series. Blake Griffin at least has some more muscle. Yeah, okay, and he still averaged like thirty five and sixteen. Exactly. And Capella's a twig. Blake John Griffin, Collins has no prayer. Blake Griffin was giving, I think, an applaudable effort of, of trying to guard Giannis. Yeah, yeah, he was trying. <laughs> Look, Capella goes as oh, far as Milwaukee him, wants under, the, under the bucket. If, if, you know, if Drew Holiday is going to start taking 35-foot fadeaway threes with Trey Young guarding him, then yes, may, maybe it will go seven games. Well, but if the Bucs do they're supposed to Drew Holiday is going to pick Trey Young apart. No, or whoever, wherever Trey Young tries to hide on the court, somebody he will should. pick him apart. Well, they're gonna they're gonna well, have uh, Bryn Forbes and PJ Tucker out there at some point. Trey Young's gonna guard yeah. them, and we'll see what happens. 
man to man, I just I just don't see how the Hawks match up with Milwaukee here. Uh, I just can't see it. I don't see who's going to guard Middleton. I don't see who's going to guard Giannis. Holidays should have a field day with Trey Young. Who's going to guard PJ Kevin Tucker? Harder? PJ Tucker will do his thing. <laughs> Middleton. Seriously? Okay, who's gonna Who's gonna guard Collins in? Yeah, Giannis. Who's guarding? Who's guarding? <laughs> the defensive K-Bon. player of the year. Oh, this is great. Dude, this we got we got to end. This is going to go forever. It's going to take an otherworldly performance from Atlanta to make this even interesting, in my opinion. Well, that that's what they've done basically for the second half of the season. Pete, why don't you uh, why don't you close this out here? All right, sounds great. Boyle and Shen show and Subway Sports Talk all in one combined. This is great fun. We have great fun every single time we do this. So to the people who are listening still an hour and twenty into this episode, uh, thank you. First of all, if you are listening on Boyle Shen. That's fantastic. Hopefully, maybe you want to check out Subway Sports Talk and vice versa. If you're listening on Subway Sports Talk and you don't check out Boyle Shen, it's the perfect marriage. We we both do wonderful, fun shows, and you get to hear each other uh, frequently often. I know football season, we had Patty Boyle on every week. It was fantastic. So hop aboard. Is that what you guys say? Get aboard? Get on the train? Come along for the ride. Come along, along for, for the ride. Come along for the ride. <laughs> get, on on, the, get on the train. Get on the subway. Listen <laughs> to some sports talk of the Boyle and Shen show, and you'll have a fantastic time. For Pat Boyle, for Mark Shen Lugan, my name is Pete Kennedy. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Let me tell you, that Wendy's coffee really kicked in second half of the show. I was a dead man walking early on. Sneaky. Wendy's cold brew and coffee is really good.